So in Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. But it wasn't how to walk on water. And it wasn't how to turn water into wine. And it wasn't how to heal sick people or raise the dead or live forever or pick winning lottery numbers. They asked Jesus to teach us to pray. Because these people saw the infinite value of communication with God. And we want the same thing that they wanted, right? And just like them, most of us are already praying at some level, but we want, we want, we want more. We want more. We, we want what they wanted. We want to pray like Jesus prayed. Because for Jesus, prayer wasn't just like a thing he did, right? It wasn't a task for him. It wasn't a routine for him. It wasn't even just communication with God. It was communion with God. In fact, Jesus was so in touch, Jesus was so connected to God the Father that he said, the Father and I are one. We're the same. Jesus was like exemplifying the scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, it says we should be in a constant state of prayer, always connected, always in touch, always in communion with God. And people have said, constant state of prayer, what in the world? Am I walking around like this all the time? Am I on my knees all the time or something like that? But it's, it's, it's not less than that. It's more than that. Right? It's really being completely connected to God all the time. And I, don't, there, I, I can't think of anything to compare it to. Maybe like your cell phone. I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not always talking on your cell phone, but you're always close to it, right? And it's, it's there, right? If you, if you need information, it's there with you. If you need help, it's there for you, right? If you need directions, it's there for you. If you need somebody to talk to, if you need a song, right? It's there for you all the time. And we're so used to it. We're so comfortable with it. We're so dependent on it that it would literally feel weird not to have it. And some of you old fogies remember before we had those things. Can you imagine? I mean, can you even, can you, can you I can sort of remember it, right? They, I remember like fire came out and then the wheel, right? And then that, I remember, but I can barely remember because we're so connected, right? We're so used, like I would feel so weird to not have it with me all the time. And, you know, and you've probably had this experience, like you're leaving your house and you're going like to your wedding or whatever, right? You get out the driveway and you're like, oh no, I'm running late. And you get a little further down and you go, oh no, I forgot my phone. And you turn and go back for your phone because the wedding can wait, right? Because this thing is that kind of important to us. And I think that's this thing. We want to be that dependent on. We want to be that connected to God. We want, to, we want to pray like Jesus. And as we get into this, I think one of the most important things that we want to hear is that when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he didn't immediately give them a seminar. He didn't all of a sudden give them a bunch of rules about how to stand or how to talk or how to hold your hands uh, when you pray. He just said, you know what? Just like pray like this. And he just did it. He just started praying. And I think that's in a way... That's our model, is that if you want to pray, start praying. And if you want to pray better, just start praying. If you want to pray more effectively, if you, want to, if you want to pray a prayer that moves God, just start just start praying. If you want to pray a prayer that impacts the world and changes eternity, just 
don't, like, don't wait till you become an expert. Just, just start praying. And don't get stuck on what words to say or how to say those words or whether you should kneel or stand or lay on your face or raise your arms or fold your hands or use like King James English or whatever. Whether you're thanking God or whether you're asking God for something or whether you're questioning God or whether you're just telling God how you feel. Don't, don't overthink it, right? I think Jesus is showing us. You wanna know how to pray? Just pray. The only way to pray wrong is not to pray. Now obviously we, we, we want our prayer lives to grow and if we keep praying, they will. But our goal is not praying prettier prayers, right? Our goal is to pray, we wanna get where Jesus was right, in his prayer life. We want, we want to be one with the Father. We want to be that connected to God. And for Jesus, prayer wasn't about a technique. It, was, it wasn't about, like, rules. It was, it was about a relationship. And for us, following Jesus is all about relationship. It's not about technique or rules or commandments. In fact, maybe you remember the, the Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew 22. They're trying to trick him, right? And they said, hey, what's the most important commandment? Because there's hundreds, like 600 commandments, right? And so they come to him and say, like, what's the most important commandment? Is it don't cuss, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run around with girls that do? <laughs> what, what is the most important commandment. And Jesus really gives a surprising answer because he didn't give one of the things that we commonly think of as commandments. He didn't say the most important commandment is going to church, right? Although that's, that's a good one. He didn't say the most important commandment is honoring your parents, but that's a good one. And he didn't say it's don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit murder. Those are, those are good commandments. And he didn't say it's not eating bacon because obviously he wanted us to have an abundant life. Right? He, he said, what is the most important commandment? And look, at Jesus gives this really shocking answer. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said, what's the most important commandment? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what he says. The entire law. So that's the, the whole the whole Torah, right? The whole beginning of the Old Testament, the entire law, and all the prophets. So the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all those books. Basically what he's saying is, the Bible as we know it right now, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, the whole Bible is all summed up in this one thing. Love God, love people. It's all about these, following Jesus is about these two relationships, loving God and loving people. And that's actually reflected in this model prayer that we keep talking about. It's Matthew 6, 9. Um, let me read it to you. Maybe you've heard it before. It's that Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I just want you to see how this is about these two relationships because it starts with loving God. Look what it says. It says, your name, your kingdom, your will. The first half of this prayer is about us loving God. The second half of this prayer is about loving people because I'm not praying, give me bread. 
right? I'm not praying forgive me or protect me. We're praying for each other. So we're praying give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Jesus wants us to get this relationship stuff right. And he wants us to get it in the right order. He wants us to see that before we get to the stuff that we're asking for, for people, right, that we need to, we need to be clear on who we're asking. And we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, but when he starts us off with this idea of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, he's basically creating a profile of who we're praying to, right? So he says he's our Father. And so my brain is saying, okay, well, so he's very relational, right? He's our Father. That means he wants what's best for us. But he's also in heaven. And that means he's God, and he's powerful, so he doesn't just want what's best for us. He's able, to, he's able to bring about, he's powerful, right? He's able to bring about what's best for us. And it says his name should be hallowed and honored because he is ultimately, distinctly, uniquely good. So not only does he want what's best for us, and not only can he cause what's best for us, he knows what's best for us. And only God knows what's really good because only God is really good. So that's a, that's a pretty good dad right there, right? He, he wants what's best for us. He can bring it about. He can make it happen, what's best for us. And he really knows what's best for us. You know, I've got two kids. I, man, being a good dad was like always super important to me. And I think I was a pretty good dad. Um, I was good at the first part. I was very loving and relational. So I wanted what was best for my kids. I wasn't always that powerful. I wasn't always able to cause what was best for my kids. But the biggest shortcoming for me is I, I just, I, I, sometimes I just didn't know what was best for my kids. We had our kids super young. I mean, really, we were just kids when we had kids and we, we made some mistakes, you know. Um, I was looking at some old, remember those camcorders that were like this big, those big and they had the tapes like this? And we had one of those things and there's this really grainy video in our backyard. And this is in Albuquerque, so the air conditioners are on the roof there, right? And so it's, it's time to service the air conditioner. So I'm up on there, climbing up my ladder and I'm going up and I'm gonna change the filters or whatever in the air conditioner. Well, here's Kristen, she's four. And she's like, up, I wanna go up. I wanna go up. So yeah, I mean, I went and got her and I, you know, take her and I like, put her on, there's a flat like the patio part because that was extra safe, not the pitched part, right? It was only 12 feet or whatever off the ground and we literally have video of me, I, oh, I forgot a tool or something, I'm gonna go back down and I'm telling this four-year-old on the roof, don't you move now, I'm not, I'm not kidding, you will, I will, you don't move, right? So like I, I wanted the best, right? And I was able to give her the, what I thought was the best, but I just, I just didn't know what was, what was best. And this first part of our prayer is this like daily reminder, right? God is a perfect father. He wants what's best. He can cause what's best. And he really knows what's best. And this is really important because as we get into this prayer, this is our reminder that we can really fully trust God, right? Before we go any further, we gotta establish that we can really fully trust God. That's what went wrong in the beginning, isn't it? I mean, in, in Genesis, in the garden, humanity was given a choice. What is the Hebrew word for humanity? Adam, right? So Adam was given a choice. He could, um, he had two trees, right? 
He could eat from the tree of life. That's the one that God provided. And that would mean that he fully trusted God for protection, for provision, for purpose, and for God's version of good and evil. He would be fully with God, fully connected to God, fully dependent on God. Or he could eat from the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he could try to decide for himself what was good. And he could try to provide his own protection and provision and purpose, and he could be separated from God. And you guys have heard this story a lot of times, so we'll take a quick quiz. One, which tree did he choose? The knowledge of good and evil, okay? So number two, by this choice, who did Adam trust, himself or Father God? He chose to choose himself, to trust himself. Okay, number three, how did that work out for humanity and for the whole, for the whole world, right? Okay, number four, this is a bonus question. This is the most important question. Is that just the story of two naked people in a garden a long time ago? Or is that the story of all humanity? It's us, man. It's us. Adam and Eve, humanity, couldn't fully trust God. Why? Because they believed a lie about who he was. So we didn't want his presence if it came with his version of what was good and what was evil. We wanted to decide what was best for us instead of fully trusting God. And that led to the world being jacked up, right? Disease and war and sin and hate and death and separation from God. And ironically, that's what created our need in the first place to ever ask for healing or protection or help or peace or reconciliation with God. That happened a long time ago. And then lots of years passed, decades and centuries and generations passed. And then as promised, just when things seemed most hopeless, a better Adam came, right? A better man, a, a Messiah came to this world, to the broken world. And this man could fully trust God's love and God's power and God's idea of good. And that Messiah came to, to, to create and to teach and to empower a whole new Adam, right? A whole new humanity. And what was his name? Jesus. And I want you to look at the night that Jesus prayed, the night that he was betrayed, he went into the darkest, scariest, ugliest, worst experience in, his, in history, right? This is Matthew 26, 39. This is Jesus praying, and I want you to not miss how he started his prayer. The first word, Father, right? Father, the one that wants the best, right? The one that can bring about the best, the one that knows the best. Father, if it's possible, like if there's any other way, right, then let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will, not mine. Jesus was the first human to fully trust God's love and God's power and God's goodness. And here's the cool thing. His spirit's now in us. And so now we can fully trust our Father God. And we need that trust, man. And we need that faith to pray the next line of this prayer because I think it's the hardest line. 
in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's hilarious to me how we like gloss over that part, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We just, bam, we just say it, man. It's like, and you know, we say things all the time. It's not that we don't mean them. It's not that we don't mean them, but we don't, we don't mean them. We don't mean them, right? If people came to me this morning and said, good morning, what did I say back? Good morning. You know why I said that? That's just what you do, right? It doesn't, I don't care what kind of morning you have. <laughs> that's, not what I'm, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. I'm, have a good morning. I'm not thinking how your morning is when I say that. What is that? It's just filler, man, right? It's just filler. It's just a word, it's stuff we say. It's stuff we say. If I said to you this morning, how are you? You know what you probably said back to me? Fine, how are you, right? Are you fine? Maybe. Do you care how I am? Maybe. But more than likely, it's really just filler. Sometimes we just say stuff, you know? Sometimes we just say it all the time. We don't really think about like what it means. We just, we, we say things or we hear things or we, or, or we sing things for so long that we don't, even, we don't even think about what it means, right? And there's even kids, even kids. There's a Greek word for this, um, eliminipi. Let me put it up here for you, eliminipi. And this, I'm telling you, kids, their whole lives grow up thinking it's a letter of the alphabet, <laughs> right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H-I-J-K. What does it mean? Is that, does it mean anything? Well, it's just the thing. It's what you say after K before Q. It's just, it's taken up, it's, it's taken up. It, but there's actually some really important stuff in there, right? And they just gloss, and we do it with our prayer lives too, don't we? Right? Even the prayers that we teach our kids. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy Somebody said bounty. Bounty? I mean, what is that? What bounty? That's a paper towel, right? That's, a, that's dog the bounty hunter. We don't want to use that word, but we still say the word, right? You know why? It's just taking up space, man. It's just a filler. It's just a filler. All of you that have kids, I know you taught your kids to pray. Before bed, you would pray with them. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, right? I don't understand it, Pastor. I pray with my kids every night and they won't sleep. <laughs> I think I understand it. Uh, why, why would we do that? Why would we pass that prayer down from generation to generation? If I should die before I wake, why would we pass that down? Because it doesn't mean anything. It's just words, man. It's, it's filler. It's just something we're saying before we get to the good stuff about blessing mommy and blessing daddy, right? And, and, some, of, and some of us in our prayers, are, are, we're, we're using the Lord's Prayer, and we're just saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, just like LMNOP, right? Just like thy bounty. Just like if I should die before I wake. It's just, it's, it's just, it's like a space filler, and it's not just the words that we cram in after our Father in heaven and before we get to the good stuff about him giving us bread and forgiving us and leading us. It's so, it's so much more than that. Your kingdom come, your will be done means something. 
it means I want to be part of this new Adam, right? I want to be part of this new humanity that Jesus came to bring. And I want to be associated with that mess that Adam and Eve started because they never fully trusted God. I want to be part of the new Adam that Jesus established who will live in the new kingdom. This is saying, God, I want your kingdom here, not man's kingdom here. Right? I want your will done, not my will done, because I trust you that much. And I want a relationship with you that much. I trust what you say is good. And this isn't just saying like, okay, fine, right? I have your will. I can't stop it anyway. That's not, what the, he's, that's not the prayer. That's not the prayer. Jesus, this, this is us saying, I, I absolutely trust your will. I trust what you say is good, right? More than I trust, I want your will, not my will. This part of this prayer is an act of faith in the goodness and the wisdom and the power of God to provide for us and to protect us and to bring relationship with us and with everybody that we love. And it sounds, man, it sounds so pretty in here. Oh, yeah, I'm praying for God's will. That sounds great, but maybe you've noticed this. Sometimes when it's something that you really care about, right? Sometimes when it's something that you really need or you really want or when you're praying for somebody that you really love, sometimes it's hard to fully trust God's will instead of your own will. Huh. Sometimes it's... it's you guys know what the unforgivable sin is? Anyone? Some people think the unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some people think it's backseat driving. <laughs> right? And it's, that's not the unforgivable sin, but it's almost the unforgivable sin. So now I've been married 43 years. And I'm going to tell you that Margaret, praise Jesus, has been delivered from backseat driving. But unfortunately, that sin, like the Bible says, was passed on to the second and third generation. And so now I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like <laughs> driving and having a four-year-old tell you, oh, this isn't where you turn, right? Oh, you're going too fast. Oh, aren't you too close to that car? Oh, this isn't the way we always go. It's hilarious to me to hear a four-year-old. But you know, what is that? They, they can't trust. But deep down, they don't believe that I know more than they do. They just, they can't. I, they, they'll say like, oh, you got to turn here. Oh, you missed the turn. You missed the turn. And I'm just, I'm trying not to laugh, you know, because I don't want to embarrass them or something. And it just makes me think, I wonder if God is trying not to laugh. When we're, we're demanding our version of good. I know what's best. You know, I know what needs to happen. And people will say, yeah, well, what about all these scriptures then? Where he says, if you ask, I'll do it. What about that? Maybe God's saying he wants our will done. Right? Because look, this, look, here's a good one. John 14, 13. You're going to want to shout when you hear this one. So get ready for a hallelujah, okay? You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. So the, yeah, hallelujah. So the son can bring glory to the father. Jesus says, this is John 13, 14, 14. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Boom. Right? So welcome to the prosperity gospel, which is I just say what I want, right? And then I tack on the words, in Jesus' name. And God is up there going, that's not the best for them. It's going to ruin my plan. It's going to ruin everything. But they said in Jesus' name, my hands are tied. I got no choice. I'm going to have to do what they said. So the prosperity gospel lie 
is that we just tell God what we want, what size, what color, how many, what horsepower, what square footage, right? I want a new house in Jesus' name. You just add those words. That's all you got to do. I want a new job in Jesus' name. That's all you got to do. You just add the words. I want to pass this drug test even though I've been using all day in Jesus' name, right? I want to steal this car and not get caught in Jesus' name. All you got to do is tack those words. And that is, man, that is such a lie. That is, that is, that is blasphemy to be honest, because that is making light of the name of Jesus. The, the, the lie of the prosperity gospel is I know what's best, and so Jesus is gonna have to make it happen, right? The truth of the real gospel is that our Father knows what's best, right? And he wants that to happen. He just, he just wants us to trust him enough, right? Saying, praying in Jesus' name is not like saying pretty please, right? It's not like saying abracadabra, right? It means something. It means I'm praying in the authority and in the will of King Jesus. And that's a big thing to say. So I ask you to imagine something. What if the Senate was having hearings on what was gonna be illegal and what was gonna be legal? And what if you showed up at that Senate hearing and you testified before Congress with that microphone in your mouth? You know, you know, they have the people all standing up there and you're sitting down there with your lawyers and you're testifying on behalf of this church. This is what we think should be legal and not legal. And you said, oh, um, I'm coming on the authority of Pastor Larry. I'm speaking in Larry's name. We want golf to be illegal. You see the problem with that? Two things. One, I don't have any authority, so that doesn't even matter. Number two, more importantly, you're not speaking in my name, right? That's not my will. You don't get to go and say this is his will. I'm speaking from behalf of him. And we say we're speaking in Jesus' name. Yeah, we're speaking in his authority. We're also speaking in his will. This is where we're saying, yeah, I'm praying in his name with his eyes, with his value with his heart, for his will, because I trust him more than I trust me. Can I tell you guys something that is biblically true and wildly unpopular in 21st century, especially Western Christianity? Wanna hear it? I don't care, do you wanna hear it or not? Okay, okay. Praying in Jesus' name is actually less about getting him on board with my plans and more about getting me on board with his plans. Right? True, not that popular, but true. It's not about, when I say in Jesus' name and I attach that to my prayers, this, it's, it's not about, praying in Jesus' name is not, it's not about me aligning his will to my will. It's about me aligning my will to his will. And it's kind of the same thing as praying your kingdom come, your will be done, right? I'm praying in his authority for his will. And that only happens when we really believe, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for good. And when we trust that what he says is good is good, right? Even if I can't see the good in it because he's our father in heaven. His name is to be hallowed. His plans are good. 
but that doesn't always mean that they line up exactly with what I want at the time. As the great theologian Garth Brooks once said, <laughs> some of God's greatest gifts. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so remember this thing about the backseat drivers with the grandkids. Let me tell you a parable, okay? I'll tell you a parable. Suppose there was a grandpa with three grandkids in his car, and he had big plans for a fun day. And as he was driving, his grandkids saw a McDonald's. And they said, can we have an ice cream cone at McDonald's? Grandpa already has another idea, right? He's thinking about sundaes and banana splits at Andy's frozen custard. So he gives them the old, just wait, you know, we'll see, we'll see, just trust me. And the grandkids say, we don't want to wait, right? We don't want to trust you. We hate we'll see, right? We, we, we just want our McDonald's ice cream because they don't fully trust Grandpa. And if they're persistent enough, and if they bug him enough, though it breaketh his heart, he will finally give them what they want. But they missed out on something so much better if it have just trusted grandpa. That's kind of what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Real love has to make a choice. Yeah, has to make a choice to trust. And so, I mean, can't you just see God saying to them, are you sure that's what you want? Because I'm a good father, man. I know what's best. I want what's best. I can cause what's best. Don't you just want to trust me? Don't you just want to trust me? And they say, no. We want what we want. Right? We want it when we want it. And God finally just said, okay. And this wasn't just about an apple in a garden. Right? This is about human life on earth. And it was just as true thousands of years later when Jesus was here. People knew God. They knew God. God's people, man, they knew who he was, but they didn't want to get to know him, right? They didn't want to get to really know him. They didn't want to get close to him. They didn't want to fully trust him, and they refused to see who he was. They refused to see how loving and powerful and good he is. So they chose their own way, right? And just like in the garden, their way led to death. So this is in Romans. So this is this much of your Bible forward, right? This is in the New Testament. This is... This is, this is Romans 121. It says, yeah, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Like they didn't see that he was a good father. They didn't see that he wanted the best and was able to bring about the best and knew what was best. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living li ever God, they, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Look at verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired, and as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, and they traded the truth for God, the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. And God gave them what they wanted. He gave them what Adam and Eve wanted. He gave them their own way. He gave them independence from him. 
and gave them separation from God. So the truth they traded away was you can trust God. He's good, man. He's your heavenly father. He wants what's best for you. He can give you what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. They traded that truth away and they believed a lie. And it's the same lie that Adam and Eve believed, that God couldn't be trusted. Okay, you guys wanna see a really scary pattern? Okay, Adam and Eve in the garden, they didn't see how amazing Father God was, right? They didn't really believe in him and his goodness. They didn't really trust him. And they chose their own way. And that led to exile and abandonment and death, right? Fast forward, God's people in Rome 2,000 years ago didn't see, again, how amazing Father God was. So they didn't really fully believe in him and they didn't really fully trust him. And they chose their own way. And their way led to exile and abandonment and death. You see the pattern? Okay, now I'm gonna ask you to think about what's going on in our world right now. You guys get newspapers and stuff, right? So think about abortion, human trafficking, gender ideology. Think about wars and how people attack each other. Innocent people dying. People are being attacked with bombs and guns and knives and words. Think about how we in our world now glorify, almost worship, celebrity and success and money and power and sex and self. With that in mind, let's read this passage again. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped the idols that look like success and money and power and sex and stuff and self. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things to each other's bodies and they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself and gave them what they wanted, what Adam and Eve wanted, what the Romans wanted, their own way to be independent from God, separation from God. And they could have had so much more you know, if they'd have just seen and really trusted God. So, next week, we start the really fun stuff, right, about this prayer model. Asking God for the stuff that we need and asking God for forgiveness and leading and his protection. And listen, don't hear this wrong. That's good stuff, right? He instructs us to ask. He wants to give good stuff to you. But what God wants most for us is what's really best for us. And that's a real trusting relationship with him where we really know him as our heavenly father. And we trust him for everything, including what he calls good. And where we know, James 1.17 says, every good thing is a gift coming down from our father. But in, in God's kingdom that we're praying to come, 
We get, we get something so much greater than that gift. We get the giver. And we get so much, something so much better than that provision. We get the provider. We get something so much better than that healing. We get the healer. And we get so, something so much better than the inheritance. We get the father. We get a relationship with him. And that relationship with the father, the healer, the provider, it doesn't just help us through life in this world. It gives us citizenship in his coming kingdom. When Messiah Jesus comes back and fully restores his creation. And when his kingdom is fully come. And when his will is always done. We won't have anything left to ask for. Because Revelation 21 tells us, right? He'll dry every tear. And he'll heal every hurt. He'll right every wrong. And he'll make all things new. Just like they were in the garden. Our provision and our protection and our purpose will be found in the presence of our Father. So yeah, next week we'll, we'll talk about asking God for stuff. And when we do that, we're asking him for samples, right? We're asking him for little tastes of the kingdom's provision and healing and protection and leading and joy and purpose. That's what we're really praying for. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're praying for a taste of his coming kingdom because his will, we're praying your will be done. His will is, what he wants the most is, and what we will experience in his kingdom is that we will fully know, fully trust, and fully experience our Father in his kingdom. Someday he'll bring that kingdom here, and that kingdom will be fully populated and, and ruled by the new Adam, right? by the people who by the power of his spirit are following Jesus and are really fully trusting God for provision, for protection, for leading and healing and purpose. That's what we pray for. And that's his will. And that's his kingdom. And that kingdom is made up of people that have decided to follow Jesus and trust in him and are depending on his spirit to allow them to do that. So, let me see what time it is. I mean, you're in church, right? There's good ball games on today, right? You could be anywhere, you're here. And so my guess is, you're one of those people. You said, your will be done, right? I want what you want. I want your kingdom. I want a little taste of it now. Yeah, I want the better life now, but I want eternal life with you. That's what I want. That's probably why you're here. You come to celebrate that stuff, right? But there might be somebody here who, you know, thought there was going to be free food or something. I don't know. I, they, they came with somebody or something. Maybe you're sitting here. Maybe you're online right now. And it's like, man, I don't know if I've, I'm not sure which decision I've made. Have I really said I want your kingdom and your will and your purpose and provision and healing and power? Or have I tried to be doing it on my own? Maybe you've even lived a life that you thought was a Christian life because you worked really hard to do really good. Right? Well, I'm going to do more good stuff than bad stuff, and that's going to be my Christian life, and that's going to get me somehow this relationship with God. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The Bible says that even on your best day, right, even when your attitude was right and everything came together and your hair looked perfect, even on that day, everything about you, the best thing about you was like filthy rags compared to the goodness of God. Listen, we don't deserve a place in his kingdom, Right? We have to be saved from ourselves. Romans 10, 9 tells us how that happens. 
right? It says, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'm gonna trust him, right? I'm gonna, his will, his kingdom, right? His way. I'm gonna make him Lord of my life. I'm gonna say that with my mouth. And I'm gonna believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And if God raised him from the dead, he can raise me from the dead. Right? That's it, man. That's that. If you, here's, what, here's what the verse says. If you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. doesn't matter how much good stuff you've done up until this point. It doesn't matter how much bad stuff you've done up until this point. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say with your mouth, I'm going his way, man. I want his will. I want his kingdom in my life. Maybe you want to do that today. And if you do, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a really simple prayer right now. You can say it out loud with me. We'll say it with our mouth right now. I'll get everybody to do it. We'll all say it at the same time. But if today is a day that you recognize you've been trying to get to God by your own behaviors and you're ready to stay instead of that, I'm just going to ask for his will, man. I want his, that's what I want. His will, his kingdom, not my will, not my kingdom, right? His power, his healing, not my power, not my healing. It's all about him. He's going to be Lord of my life. He's going to be king of my life. If you're ready to do that, let's just pray it. Right? And then we can put a pin in a calendar and we can say, this is the day that I became a Christian. If that's for you, just repeat after me. And again, everybody just repeat this prayer with me. Just pray like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Today I become a Christian. I believe in you as my risen Savior. And I'm asking you to be my Lord. So fill me with your spirit. Teach me from your word. Help me to live your way for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, look, that's fast, right? That's a couple seconds. So I know there's a lot to this. We want to talk some more to you. So if you became a Christian today, if that happened for you today, if you're online, then man, let us know in the comments. If you're in this room, go back and get a connection card and just check the box that says, today I decided to follow Jesus. I'll call you this week. We'll get a Bible in your hands and we'll start walking this thing out with you, right? We'll start taking these next steps with you to follow Jesus into his kingdom. If you're visiting with us today, I would love to know that you're here so I can give you a call this week. So if you have time and can stop at our Connection Center, just check that thing that says you're a visitor. We got a little gift for you. We just love to say thanks for coming to church. I'd love to give you a call this week as well. That's it. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great week.